Well, good morning. How are you guys this morning? Hey, it's so good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name's Will. I have the honor of serving on staff here at Grace, and we're so excited that you are here to worship with us this morning. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, if this is not your first time, welcome back. Um, if you're interested in getting more plugged in or involved in a life group or service, or if you just need prayer, um, I want to encourage you to text the word welcome to this phone number up here. And uh, it's just a great way to get in touch with us and someone on staff or on our team will reach out and, and, uh, and connect with you and see how we can help. Uh, most Sunday afternoons when we get home, I look at Hannah at some point in the afternoon and I ask, how did things go today? Now, she grew up in church world. She was, she's a preacher's kid and she's been involved at various churches. And so I, I want feedback as far as how things win. And I bet I know one thing that she will mention today. <laughs> but I, I want some feedback about how, how things went, and specifically kind of this part, specifically my, my message and how it came across and, and this kind of thing. But, but in general, I value her, her feedback about all of it. And as much as we might not like thinking about it in this way, brace yourselves here for just a moment. There is a good piece of what we do on Sunday morning that's a bit performance-based. Now, it's not the sole part of what we do. Don't, don't get angry and start sending emails right now to me. It's not the only thing that we're doing by any stretch of the imagination. But in this, in this culture, in this world that we live in today, we try, we strive to package the content, which is most important, in a way that people enjoy, in a way that gets across, in a way that's, that's appealing, that is smooth, and hopefully don't have tech issues with words that don't show up on the screen, and whatever else might happen. Sometimes things get in the way and distract us. If Eric was to put a capo on the wrong fret or, or play some wrong keys on the, on the piano or sing off-key, then what it can actually do is detract us and detract our heart from worship. And so there is this element of performance, of trying to do the best that we can to the best of our ability each and every week so that we can lead the church, that we can lead this, this group of people here before the throne of God in worship. Same is true with message. How I present it, how I deliver it, helps in understanding the Word of God, helps in communicating what I hope to communicate. Last week when I asked Hannah how things went in the morning, she said, I'm not sure it was one of your best. It just hurt so deep. I cried for like two hours. I'm just kidding. I did not. But we talked about it. We, we talked about what, what didn't come across. And, and what we came to find out is that what she heard was not at least what I intended to say in a couple places. And I might not have been on it as I had intended to be or how I, how I needed to be. And now everyone's going to go back and watch last week's and try to figure out what, what we were talking about. And, and we're not going to go into it because the reality is that on any given Sunday, I can say things and, and try to say things in a way that one person doesn't get or a group of people don't get or, or everybody doesn't get. And, and it's really hard for me to anticipate that 
Because if I do anticipate it, I'm going to try to speak as clearly as I can and make sure I get my point across. But sometimes, because I am human and make mistakes, sometimes I misspeak. Anyone ever say something and you're thinking one word, but another word comes out? Anyone been there? Is that just me? Okay, not just me. I'm glad that's not just me. Sometimes we just misspeak. And so can I just ask a favor real quick? If, if there's ever a Sunday where you think I misspeak, can you call me, email me, ask me about it? I would be more than glad to clarify and try to explain what I was talking about and maybe articulate it better. Or maybe sometimes what happens, and this is the beauty of the church, guys. This is, this is amazing and beautiful. Sometimes we disagree. And that's okay. The beauty of the church is that, that we can sit next to people who believe different things than us and still worship together. Now, now there are a few things that we have in common, right? We, we talked a, a few weeks ago, several months ago at this point, about some of those foundationally important truths of Scripture. That Jesus is 100% God and 100% man that he physically died on a cross, he physically came back to life, that he is the Son of God, right? There, there are these foundational truths that we hold in common. But Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we would have right doctrine and right theology. No, he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He died on the cross that we could have the Spirit of God living inside of us. He died on the cross so that we can, we can be in his presence again. And so it's wonderful when we can come together with all kinds of different understandings of Scripture and say, I still love you as a brother and sister in Christ, and we're going to worship together, and I hope to sit next to you next week and hear your voice praising and worshiping God. Amen? It is amazing, and it is beautiful. I also take a little bit of comfort in knowing that sometimes I'm not the only one that needs to go back and, and explain or say things a second time or, or add some clarification to what I meant. We see God doing this. Now, I'm not claiming to be God. There's a lot of differences between me and God. But this is where we find ourselves today in the text in Matthew chapter 5, in that Jesus is going back and clarifying some pieces of the Old Testament Scripture and what God meant by them. For the last few weeks, we've been in the text in, in Matthew chapter 5, and we've called this series Rerooted. And what we've done so far is we've seen how Matthew wrote to this Jewish audience, explaining to them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one that's been prophesied about. He's the one that you have been awaiting his arrival, and he is here. And in Matthew chapter 5, we see what is Jesus' like first teaching the first teaching, at least, that Matthew writes down, that he, he gives us, that he writes out to remind the people what Jesus said. And he starts with these really like overarching themes. We call them the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are, are the merciful, are the peacemakers. These overarching themes that that to some degree are a little bit confusing, that maybe need some explanation, kind of the main points of what he wants to get across. And then he goes on from there to say that if we can do those things, 
then you'll be salt and light in this world. You'll be the salt and light of the world. And, and, and that's, that's how it will come out. Well, today what we're going to get into is a section here where Jesus gives us some examples. He said, okay, okay, you might be asking, how are we the salt? How are we the light? And these overarching themes about poor in spirit might be a little confusing. So, so let me give you some examples of how that practically works out day to day. Now, let's keep in mind as we dive into some of these examples that these are examples for the first century Christian, right? These are not examples for us. We might not resonate with all of them, but I think what we'll see is that more of them than not really hit close to home. And if we let the Spirit step on our toes a little bit this morning, then the Spirit will do just that. Now, these group of of six examples that Jesus gives are really about the heart. They're really about the heart. They all have this similar pattern of saying, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I tell you, dot, dot, dot. And what Jesus does in all six of these is he tries to get to the heart of the matter. He looks past the outward expression. He looks past the, you've heard it said, here's the outward expression that, that you're not to do or that you've, you've been told is okay to do. But I just, I just want to talk about your heart for a moment. Jesus comes back and he actually criticizes the, the religious leaders for their heart later in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of a cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so the, that the outside of it may also become clean. I mean, if you just think about this illustration for a moment, it makes perfect sense that, that the outside of a cup that you might want to drink with, you know, get some, some cold ice water with, the outside might look clean, but if you flip it over and there's cobwebs in there, Nobody wants to drink from a cup like that. And he, he puts that illustration onto our lives that you might have right action. People around you might be looking at you and saying, oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to do or not what we're not supposed to do. But the inside is what matters the most. And so Jesus gives us these six examples of things that we're not to do. Some of things that are biblically okay to do. And they really divide into two categories of three. And the first three of them are, you have heard it said, do not do. And the latter three are, you have heard it said, it's okay to do these. But again, with each group, Jesus says, let me get to the heart of the issue. We'll spend just a few minutes on this first group of three here. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Makes sense, right? We shouldn't be angry with people. C common sense, right? We should not murder people. But that's the exterior. That's the action that we are to avoid. And Jesus backs it up to the heart and says, let's stop that root from growing at all. 
This, this isn't, we're not talking about the accidental first century uh, Christian who forgot to tie up the cart that they're loading up and it rolls down the path and runs someone over. We're, we're not talking about, about that, but the intentional act of, of murder, of, of hating someone, being so angry with someone that we want to kill them, and, and that starts with our heart. So Jesus says, let's just stop that root from growing and not be angry with people, not hate people. He goes on to the second example here, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, we're, we're not going to commit adultery if it doesn't, doesn't take root. If we can stop that root from growing in our heart and not even look at someone else in a lustful way, well, then we're not going to end up doing the action that follows. Finally, the third example here in Matthew chapter 5, 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. You see, the early, early church had a really bad, uh, in the Jewish time here, and the Jewish leaders here had a really bad habit of saying, if you make an oath to the altar, it's okay. You don't have to keep that oath. But if you make an oath to what's sacrificed on the altar, well, then that's an oath you have to keep. And don't we do the same things? Don't we try to figure out, well, like circumstances changed. I committed to this thing, but, but this other thing came up. I wanted to be involved with this, so I said yes, but it's just been a long week. I'm not sure I can. And we try to find loopholes. We try to find th- ways around it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's, let's go to the heart here. Do you say yes? Then mean yes. Do you, you say no? Then mean no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This second group of of three that we see here, I want to spend a little bit more time with these this morning. Because the second group of three are things that in Scripture, in the Old Testament text, or, or according to Jewish tradition and customs, were completely acceptable to do. And Jesus comes back here and says, yeah, it's okay. But again, let's look at the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual morality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I know I need to be a little careful here because I know that there are many in here and tuning in online who have been divorced, who are divorced. And I hope that at the very least, can we, can we back up for a moment and just acknowledge that the biblical understanding for marriage is between a man and a woman for life. Sometimes as a, as a church, as, as a church in America, we, we get hung up on that between a man and a woman part, and we forget about the life part. But there's a commitment that's made in marriage there's a, there's a commitment to stick it out and, and to be married for, for, the, for the lifetime. You're with that one person. And that's the way God designed marriage to be. Now, we live in a fallen and broken world. 
And sometimes life doesn't go as planned. And so God made a way in some instances to have a divorce and to break that commitment made to the other person. What we see here is an exception made really to marriage of everyone who divorces his wife, except this case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And later, as Jesus talks about this, he says that Moses made this exception because of our hardness of hearts. The struggle with this sometimes, though, is that I've heard pastors even say, I'm sorry that your husband is beating you, but he hasn't cheated on you. Therefore, there's not biblical grounds for divorce. And we got to keep in mind that what Jesus is doing here is he's getting to the heart of the issue. And he uses this as an example. But I know how much God cherishes, cherishes his people, his children. And I want to be very, very careful here about saying that it's okay to get divorced for this reason or for that reason, because biblically we see that the, the intention behind marriage is, is for the lifetime. But if you're in an abusive relationship, then that's, that's not good. And I want to encourage you to talk to someone about it, not necessarily your girlfriends or your guy friends, but like talk to a counselor, talk to someone who can help about it. We have some resources we would be Glad to help you, if at all possible, if you're in, in a relationship like that. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and God said, oh, you got divorced because your spouse was beating you and you weren't supposed to do that. I think emotional abuse is a little harder to define, a little harder to talk about, but still very real. And so I don't want to I want to be very careful here because I also believe in the cross and redemption and healing and restoration and forgiveness and grace. And so I just want to encourage you to talk to someone about it. Matthew 5, 38, Jesus goes on. He mentions another one that has, was accepted and allowed for in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 5, 38 says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, we have to understand the context of this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you were to come up on stage right now and slap me across the face, there would be some physical pain. It wouldn't hurt quite as much. I have a nice beard to, to cushion the blow a little bit. But, but there would be some physical pain to that. But what would hurt more than that is the humiliation, is the embarrassment of it. it we're streaming to YouTube and someone's going to find this video and, and cut it down and they're going to share it and they're going to make a meme about it and I'm going to be the laughingstock for the next decade. Okay, maybe not quite that extreme. But, th but there's, a, there's a pride factor that my, my ego is hurt. And so when I want to slap you back, that justice would call for, we serve a God of justice, then I don't want to just slap you back, but I want to humiliate you. I want to embarrass you as, as I've been humiliated and embarrassed. 
And I don't want to do it just a little bit, not, not to the same degree that you embarrassed and humiliated me. No, no, no. I want to make it known that I am not to be messed with. Hey, nobody messes with me that I, I, have, I have more bite than bark, right? I want to establish my dominance here. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Even in the Old Testament, this eye for eye and tooth for tooth was meant to limit retaliation. And we do serve a God of justice. We do serve a God who, who, who deeply is a God who believes in justice, who enacts justice. But what Jesus says here when he says that to not resist the evildoer, <clears throat> to turn to him the other cheek also, Jesus says this in light of the cross. Jesus says this knowing what will happen on the cross in the future and that justice happens in the cross. That wrongs are made right in the cross. So it's my responsibility now as a Christian to stand up here and if someone slaps me, please don't take this as an invitation to do it in this moment. If someone slaps me at any point in my life to say, wow, this really hurt. I'm embarrassed and this stings and, and I hate this. But Jesus made it right on the cross through his death and resurrection. But that is so hard to do. So hard. I heard a, a tweet or, or a comment made by somebody at some point in reference to this verse when they said, I only have but so many cheeks I can turn. I get what they're saying. But Peter thought he was being very gracious when he asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? That was that's a high number. Seven times? Jesus says, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. The point being, the heart being that it's not about the number of times I forgive someone. It's not about the number of times they hurt me. It's at realizing that, that justice comes in the cross. Now, I'll also say real, real quickly that I deeply believe as Christians that we are to be agents of justice in this world. And that there's a big difference between me personally as a Christian, as a disciple and follower of Jesus being hurt and standing back and watching a whole group of people be marginalized, be hurt, be killed even. I think the great example of this was Hitler and what he did with people who weren't worthy in his opinion. And it's a great chance for the church to step up and come to the defense of those who are marginalized and being killed unjustly. But when it comes to me, when it comes to you, for those who are followers of Jesus, when I am personally hurt, I realize that justice comes in the, the form of a cross. Finally, Matthew chapter 5, we get to the sixth example here. Matthew 5, 43 to 44. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy and uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We can look to a dozen Old Testament passages and see this expectation laid out to love our neighbor, to love those around you. And in fact, what we have are some, some extra biblical texts, some, some texts that aren't found in Scripture but are from this time period where the expectation stated to, from Jewish leaders to Jewish leaders in training 
was that it is okay and expected to hate your enemy. This was a teaching that was popular in the faith that Jesus was talking to this audience at this time. But Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in church. I just got to ask, what if he was serious? What if he was serious when he said we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? What if he was serious and what if we took him seriously? There should be no hateful speech from Christians around election season. About the other political party, about a particular political candidate. There should be no hateful speech about another group of people from other places and the harm that they did to us or to America or anything like that. What if Jesus was serious that we should love our enemies? That we should pray for those who persecute us? And what if we actually did it? Church, I know, I know how hard this is. I know how difficult these things are to hear and how even, how even harder they are to apply to our lives. Jesus summarizes this section in Matthew 5, 48. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. First uh, Peter 1, 15, uh, Peter says it a slightly different way. You are to be holy for God is holy. That's a high bar that's been set for us. And too many times we come across examples like this that Jesus gave to, to to his listeners of the day. We come to passages like this that say you are to be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's like we just give up before even trying. I'm, I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. I, I can't be perfect. And we take the bar of perfection and we lower it to just being good. And this whole section is Jesus cutting back away from the being good, away from the, the external actions that we show and revealing the heart where it's perfection. This is the standard that God has set for us of perfection. And church, listen to me here. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Right, The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So who in the world do you think you are to think that your human spirit is more powerful than the Spirit of God within you? Think about it. Do you really think your will, your, your spirit, your human nature is stronger than the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead? No! Church, I don't bring these words this morning as a way of, of dumping guilt and shame on anyone, but hopefully to encourage you, to empower you, to, to open your eyes that the Spirit of God is within you, empowering you and in strengthening you to live this life that He has called you to of perfection, and you might slip up sometimes. Maybe. But if we don't set the bar where Jesus has set the bar for us, then we have no chance of hitting it. 
I believe that there are moments where we strive and we try. And because of what Jesus did on the cross in making us clean, I think we can hit this bar sometimes. But we're not going to if we don't even try. Church, He has empowered each and every one of you to live your life in such a way that is pleasing to Him that means we can strive for this bar that He set. And we've got to try. We've got to try. Jesus, He takes away the pressure of just doing the right thing and in a way almost adds a little pressure of of just making sure our heart is right. Our motives are right. The place that we are in our soul is right. And so church, where is your heart this morning? Where's your heart? Were there names of people that you've deemed your enemy that came to mind as I was talking about that? Were there some memories of some lustful thoughts that had crossed your mind earlier this week? Is there some anger that you're holding on to? These are just some examples that Jesus used to his listeners then, but there are so many more ways that this applies to us today because it's all about the heart. So church, where is your heart? Is your heart striving to honor God with everything you have? Or are you just trying to do whatever looks good? and what other people expect you to do to look the part. Father God, I come before you begging for your grace and forgiveness for not setting the bar where you have. When you set the bar so incredibly high, it's easy for us to hit the bar when we lower it. And God, I am so sorry for the times where I have lowered the bar. Lord, I pray that this week that we will realize the power of your Spirit in our lives, the power of your Spirit in our souls and in our heart, that we can, that we can strive to live up to this expectation in this bar that you've set for us. It's a process and it's a journey, and God, you're pleased when we do better and still heartbroken over how far we have to go. God, please, please give us your grace and give us your spirit so that we can rise up to the expectation that you've set before us. Lord, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.